I'm Frances Robertson Ritchie. Welcome to today's episode of The Explored Life, More Than Yoga. In this episode, I was so pleased to be talking with Alexandria Crow, founder of Yoga Physics and Deconstruct to Reconstruct. I was drawn to Alex's Instagram because of her frank and open discussion about making yoga more ethical and sustainable. And our conversation has given me so much to think about. How we can free ourselves from the constraints of the modern traditional pose techniques that we're all familiar with in class. How we can move our focus away from how we teach to what we're teaching so that the poses aren't so important. They were always just tools to help us learn and how this then translates into a yoga class setting in a way that's accessible to everyone. We talk about the importance of open and honest discussion about injury and pain and power dynamics in the context of a yoga class. Alex's own journey of developing this approach involved her own experience of being hypermobile and dealing with injury. It brings up the interesting question of what ultimately are the benefits of taking joints beyond their functional range. Some of this stuff can be really uncomfortable when we open up and talk about it, but it's interesting how yoga is about sitting with the uncomfortable and maybe this is the yoga. It's easy to want to hold on to binary ideas of what's right or wrong, what's good and bad. Unfortunately, there's not always a definitive answer around this stuff. It's going to be a constant exploration, a journey of learning. Alex has a workshop coming up in December about what is hypermobility and I'll drop the link for that in the comments for this podcast episode. So I was um, drawn to your Instagram uh, account uh, because of its really frank and open discussion that you um, you have over there and um, it's a real refreshing um, approach um, from my perspective and certainly um, as a, I guess a relatively new-ish yoga teacher I think I've qualified like four years ago and um, and have been through that kind of process that I think a lot of other yoga teachers have been through where you you do the yoga teacher training and it's like um, honeymoon period and you're in love with it and it's all wonderful and then you start teaching and you suddenly kind of um, you get a few kind of niggling sort of thoughts hang on a sec you know you see the people that come to your class and you're like, oh, hang on. I'm not sure if this, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure if this vinyasa is quite um, what um, this lady needs, you know, that's in front of me or oh, man, you know. Totally. Um, and uh, yeah, so I kind of, I went to real like almost existential, like, oh my God, what what's going on? What am I doing? You know, becoming aware of injury as, as such a huge thing, you know. Mm-hmm in the yoga world um 
but not wanting to, I don't know, you know, not wanting to sort of wanting to find my way through that, you know, so trying to navigate my way through that. Um, and, you know, I've in that journey sort of sought out people um, like yourself who question what we're doing as yoga teachers rather yeah. than um, this idea of kind of blindly um, repeating stuff, I guess, without okay. really yeah. understanding where it's coming from. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a huge part, what you just described for so many people. I mean, I think I would hope to that, hope that that isn't what people who went through teacher training with me, you know, in the more recent years would feel because that was my whole intent was to teach them so they didn't have to be retaught. Um, not that you're not always learning, but that, that the technique was highly adaptable from the get so they didn't have to go through that process. But I think that that's by and large the norm for people is to go exactly through what you did. And then, you know, the only fortunate part I think right now is that, well, fortunate and unfortunate, I'm sure we can look at from both sides, is that you have more resources and access to people who are saying things like that and to providing alternatives. Whereas back when I was doing that, there was no one, like I, there was no one breaking the mold or doing any of that. And to even question whether it was something that had to do with what my practice was when I got hurt or, or like that it was not just that I wasn't a good enough teacher, you know, to teach the people that it wasn't accommodating for was, I mean, that was not even something I considered until much later. So yeah, I think like there's, there's good things about it happening now comparatively, but also there's a lot to weed through these days that kind of a lot of like cycles back to the beginning over and over and over again where you're like that fixed some things but not all things (laughs) well I think um I I guess it's going to be a journey of inquiry all the way through and that's kind of um yeah you know so uh there's that constant kind of going back and reassessing and questioning all the time which is how my kind of brain works anyway so I um I always found it a bit difficult. I do remember in my teacher training them saying, you might have done yoga before, um, but can you just not question anything that we tell you? <laughs> you know, mm. like if it doesn't fit with what you've done before, can you just not question it? And, I, and that just rang alarm bells for me. And I, I loved my teacher training. I really, really did. And I got so much from it. And I'm not, um, I'm not kind of dissing it at all because um, it was great, but I just see now how... Um, I just think that, I don't know, I feel like you just, it is a lifelong learning experience, isn't it? And a journey. Um, So tell me and my listeners, I think they'd be really interested to know about your journey to sort of sharing this approach that you share with your teachers. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think because I was a, and it's only, it's only a secondary part just to like explain the framework that I was coming from, that I was a gymnast and then I coached gymnastics. That is not what I came into a yoga practice wanting to do. It wasn't my interest. It just is my background. And why it's relevant is because in doing gymnastics and coaching it, because I didn't, I coached it on a recreational level a little bit, but I coached the really young, like little competitive, um, like lower level girls for uh, a good amount of time. And so I was always very aware that that is a self-selected activity where there's only certain people who are going to be able to participate at all, let alone long-term. And 
yoga was not that framework in my mind. It was one being utilized for a completely different outcome. It was not competitive. It was not meant to be shown off. It wasn't meant to be aggressive or potentially harmful. It was literally the opposite of all those things. And so my intent was to be able to teach anyone that was in front of me really adequately, because regardless of you know, what skill level a gymnast is, you do have to meet them where they are and figure out what is going to be appropriate for them. You know, not everyone's taught the same skills, especially after a certain age. And so I kind of had that framework in my mind. But like you were saying before, in getting out of teacher training, I was super aware really quickly that the technique I was given, one, it didn't actually teach people how to accomplish any of those poses, it described what they looked like, but it wasn't, you know, any kind of building block educational process. And so I, I changed that kind of right away because I was like, if they want to know how to do these things, I might as well teach them how. But then it wasn't working for everybody in front of me. And I could see, you know, that you'd always have that person that couldn't do it and you'd try everything. And then eventually you just kind of look over them while you're teaching, <laughs> you know, you're just like, pretend that's not there because I don't know what to do about it. And so that never sat with me. I hated that um, because it felt really alienating for that person. And I felt substandard at my job. Um, and then I, I got injured. And so that just furthered it where I was like, wait a second, this is not aligning with what I was told. And I tended to be a person who was, you know, self-deprecating first and then would look outwards. So first I tried to like fix everything about myself that could have caused any of that stuff. And it just didn't fully do it. So then I had to look out at the actual technique itself. And because my interest was actually in philosophy and, and yoga from that angle, and then application was was done through whatever methodology accomplished it really well. It wasn't so set in stone that it had to be, you know, a posed centric thing. I felt really empowered to adapt it, to make it start to work. So I just kept doing that over and over and over again until, you know, eventually you get to a place where, where it doesn't matter who's in front of you, you know what you're trying to impart, and then you just meet them where, you, where they are with whatever tools suit that particular group or individual that day, which means it's a really highly adaptable way of teaching. It doesn't look like what people are used to inherently, but it's something that if you're looking for yoga, that, that we can, we can do that part for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that for me, that's, that's definitely, that's the, that's what I'm interested in. That's all I'm interested in anymore, to be honest, you know, and I kind of have quite happily let go of so much of the kind of, I guess you might call it traditional, um, yoga and, um, I call it the modern traditional, uh, pose technique or the modern traditional, like teaching technique, because that, I think like the clearing up vocabulary is really big yeah. because it becomes, if you adapt the technique at all, then you're lost the yoga, but the yoga was never inherent in the technique. It was taught through it. So find something else to teach it through. So yeah. I, I just like re-educating the public on that one so that they don't go to a class and they're like, that wasn't yoga because there's was no triangle in it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. I mean, I think you, you could just, the idea of what yoga is for me is, um, is so broad um, uh, and that's what I love about it. It's almost like, you know, sometimes walking is yoga, you know, sometimes, um, and some people who do, maybe they don't want to sort of do the uh be in a class or something but you still can sort of access the yoga mm -hmm. other ways you know oh, and, 100%. Um, yeah so and 
that's what I really like about it. But um, like you say, there's, uh, I think sometimes there's that disparity between what people understand and there's such a kind of misunderstanding of what it is and what it isn't. And it's kind of a constant job, isn't it? I think to be communicating, um, you know, uh, what it means for us as teachers because so that you're you're get, reaching the right people and the people who you know will um, resonate with you are uh, finding you because that's what you want isn't it and that's what they want <laughs> oh absolutely and if you think about it from an educational standpoint if you were an educator in any other you know venue you and let's say you were an English teacher and yet the entire population did not understand what an English class entailed and the different layers of teaching that could exist there. And, you know, that it could include everything from writing to interpreting, you know, but there was this container that would be considered English. If that wasn't happening publicly, you'd do some serious PR re reworking so that that actually was clear. And then you'd also if, realize that your student base was probably not being well-educated if they weren't also helping in in changing this perception or at least in educating what the content was supposed to be about so I think it's a twofold thing where we really need to educate ourselves and then others and freely speak about this and realize that we're always going to evolve and grow and learn more but then to also empower through knowledge the participants so they themselves through experience get a really clear understanding of what they're doing and why they're doing it yeah. and then they can tell other people even if they're not teachers they can have this really great impact on whether or not people understand what it is we're talking about because right now I do I think it's very ambiguous what is being talked about and so people want to hang their hat on what it looks like because yeah. that's all they know what else could it be yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I just for myself, I and I just know and in myself that I, I can't get on board with something unless I understand the why behind it. And so I have to tell people <laughs> why we're doing stuff. So if I don't know why I'm doing it and why I'm teaching it, I don't teach it. You know, I just don't teach it unless I understand and can explain that there is. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, these guys are turning up, um, my, you know, my wonderful, um, guys who come to class and I, I feel like it's a respectful thing to explain what we're doing and not just sort of expect them to accept everything that I'm <laughs> spouting, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So because um, like, what do you do with personal agency? If you, if you don't understand context, you can't exercise personal agency and make really skilled choices short of like opting in and opting out completely. Right. Like you're just yeah. going to go full in or full out because you don't know what any of the other options are. Um, and I, I, so that's like a huge part of what needs to change out there. And what I love doing is, is saying what, what we're trying to do here is X. Yeah. Here are the, the myriad ways that you could actually potentially try to accomplish that. And if you understand that well enough, then you can figure out that there will also be other ways beyond what I'm going to list just for conservation of time. And you can try those. If it accomplishes the aim, then it accomplishes it. And it doesn't matter how you go about doing it. So yeah, I agree with you that that's, that's something that is so missing out there. And I think there is a huge power dynamic, don't you? That happens, power dynamic imbalance when people don't know what they're doing. Yeah. They either go, I'm never coming back here ever again, lady. Like, I don't know what you're talking about and what we're doing and I feel stupid or whatever. <laughs> what, what is this? Or they go, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. Don't want to look stupid. 
I better just look around and try to keep up with what I see. And just, she, she's the authority figure. She must be right. So she must know something. So I think yeah. like that's a huge risk. Of, and I think it's probably what is happening out there and to a large degree. Yeah. And that's kind of where um, the big, you know, big sort of bad stories of yoga have come from is that the use of that manipulative, but manipulating that situation, you know, out of control, you know, um, uh, that sort of uh yeah that power dynamic um that's really interesting and you've also just answered a question that I had about that comment that I made and you said about the context and I couldn't understand what you meant about that and then now you've just totally answered my question so thank you you're welcome Uh, yeah so um so you had an injury coming back to that and and you're hypermobile, is that right? You talk quite Correct. a lot about, about hypermobility mm-hmm. and um, and how it, I think it's really I've learned a lot from your um, your your posts um, and how a lot of the people that are drawn to yoga are potentially hypermobile because they can do I guess the poses. So is that was that your experience? I not inherently because I could do the poses that definitely added a, um, so in order for somebody to like stay and participate in something and for it to feel safe enough, it's just kind of some like broad brushstrokes, mm-hmm. they need to have a few things and a few boxes checked off. So predictability, um, is one. And so this familiarity sort of things, you need to have something in it. The other ones I'll leave to the side for now, but there was a familiarity in not just the poses, but the construct of the class in that there was an authority figure who was telling you how to do things progressively. And then eventually when you accomplish them, they would praise you. That's, you know, a million times over in my life, gymnastics coaches and beyond. So that felt familiar. I was like, Oh, I understand how this works. Okay. And it's not conscious. This is unconscious drive to continue. So that was what drove me to maybe accept the posture stuff. And one of the key components to my ability to do it, which I would not have known back then was that I'm hypermobile. So, um, so there's that, but the other part is the symptomology that hypermobility carries oftentimes is the same symptomology that yoga advertises as a solution for. So it's twofold, right? We're getting people who are self-selecting into yoga practices right now because they have this underlying genetic condition that allows for them to do this posture catalog that is, you know, out of the range of a typical range of motion. Then they're there because the, that technique is also supposed to help with, you know, their anxiety or their feelings of, you know, stiffness or not being able to sit still or things like that. But in truth, that technique that's being employed by and large ends in a very problematic end. And it actually oftentimes amps up the problem rather than resolving it, especially if we're talking about something like, you know, a standardized class that would be called everything from vinyasa to power to vinyasa flow to ashtanga to, you know, ayangar, anything that's using like the typical pose catalog um, in the way that it's kind of understood in this modern day. So that's, those are the two kind of reasons that I think that's happening in class. It's not just simply because people can do the poses. It's because, you know, they, there's, they help. And at first, because oftentimes you level your nervous system up higher like that, you know, you exploit range, your nervous system kicks to accommodate for it. It gives you that same sort of euphoria in a more subtle way that, that a runner's high would, you know, so it, you leave feeling temporarily better. But I always say, okay, yeah, temporarily better, but down the road, where did that end? 
was it progressively better and better and like, you know, maybe plateaus, but for most people it's good, good, good. And then it starts to get worse and they've got to kind of keep leveling up the technique they're using, you know, so that's why I think we see a lot of people who go from a physical practice that maybe doesn't have heat to one that has more heat, that has more movement, that's faster, that's more extreme, you know, like they're just leveling up to accommodate sensation is it is it the sensation of stretch that is kind of like that kind of sort of I think that that's part of it for people it's like that might be where they can pin their brain on is like oh it feels like something I'm getting the stretch here you know that's where it but I think it's the euphoria it's more this kind of like I feel, um, I don't know. It's the same thing as like you would use to kind of, um, zone out in any other way. Like, you know, that temporary hit of something that kind of avoids the maybe pain or achiness or the feelings of anxiety or, you know, when you're doing something that kicks any of those hormones and, and that endocrine response, you're going to get that kind of temporary numbing out, but it's not sustainable as a problem. So I think that that's what they want. That's so interesting. That is such an interesting um, perspective. And um, yeah, it's really useful for me. And uh, I've got lots of um, guys who come to my classes who um, who are hypermobile and we sort of work together over the years, um, ed- you know, and I've educated myself more about it. Mm-hmm um beyond just saying just go to 80 percent which is what I was sort of told um and actually then again it's like understand the why but it is such a complex it's a complex subject you know just like it's complex isn't it so there's not always and this is what I'm learning more and more there's not always like the answer (laughs) you know and so but Despite that, I'm going to ask you anyway, (laughs) if you have any particular advice for people in their yoga practice when they are hypermobile. So one, like you said, this is, it's not simple. It's not a simple answer. And every uh, iteration of that particular, uh, it's a set of conditions, right? It's not even just one. It's just like heterogeneous set of conditions. And So it's different for each person, but, and it takes much longer. So first I'll just say, I don't know when you're going to air this, but I'm doing a three-part series for Tri Yoga. Um, We're doing it in partnership on exactly this. It's all on hypermobility. Um, Everything from what it is, how it manifests in relation to yoga. Like, obviously I'm not looking at it from like a medical standpoint in like some kind of like preventative or it's not preventative, but like curative or treatment wise, it's looking at like, how does it actually impact the yoga world? Why, what is it as a condition? Then we'll do practice and we'll do like, how does it impact practice? How does it impact teaching? And then what to do about it. But one thing I will say is that it isn't simplistic and some things for people to keep in mind as one, the practitioner is that if you can get into your minds that pretty much every single pose within the pose catalog, be it what you would consider beginner or basic um, or, you know, something you would look at and go, oh, that's contortion. That's like wild. All of them demand that one, if not many joints go into a range that would be considered on the, you know, functional range of motion chart, a clinical chart to be past range. So if you're getting into a pose that has one, two, three, four, the more joints that go into that, that 
excess of demand, the, the more it is on your kind of nervous system. So there's that. But just to remember that it's, it's not enough to kind of people that are first step when they figure this out is like, oh, I'm going to make it more basic. And I'm like, that doesn't trust me. I've gone through every iteration of it. It doesn't solve it through and through because basic still has this range demand. Then it's, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add weight training. Mm-hmm. to it, but they don't understand the, the ligament structures and the tendon structures and the nervous system impact and that you cannot use strength to maintain in a long-term, non-injurious sense, something that is going to be done repeti- repetitiously past range. It may prolong your ability to do it, maybe, but mm-hmm. if you're already in pain, it's probably just going to be a repetition of the injury and usually what people report is worse. So you can strength train, but if you're going to strength train, put it in like a reasonable range, like usually strength training is within a functional window anyhow, then it would be to, you know, let that not allow you to do this past range stuff, but to actually start to contain it where you make poses smaller or like not as much of a range demand. So there's, there's that. Um, and then for teachers, and you know, this works for people who are practicing as well. And this is anecdotal just for me asking so many hypermobile people. I've been doing the last, I think it's uh, six years now, the bait and score with every single group that I have in front of me. So like, you know, usually most years it's like 35 to 50 groups, depending on how many times I'm doing something. So it's a lot of sample sizes and most groups, I've never had a group run lower than 50% testing, at least initially, you know, it's potentially hypermobile and the numbers are running more average up in like the, you know, high eighties, mid nineties, to be honest. So that's a lot of people compared to what the general average is for the populace. UK having a slightly higher percentage of people with, with hypermobility than the U S but, um, I think it's still running on like around 20% or under. Um, now it's understudied and all these things. So like it's probably higher than what the studies say, but it's certainly yeah. not that high. Um, so in asking a lot of people, I, all I say is I'm going to describe a personality type and some traits. I want you to think about whether that's you. And I get a lot of like head nodding and like sheepish, like you're describing me looks. So hypermobile people, it seems, and I would include myself in this, tend to be people who um, are sort of like perfectionist-ish, who like to do things well, who um, like to, you know, please other people in some kind of way. You don't have to be a people pleaser, but like it, it you, there's some kind of like seeking of, of some kind of validation outside mm-hmm. of oneself. Um, they tend to be like, you know, just that kind of controlled perfectionist uh, achievement centric type. And so you have to remember that as a teacher, because so often the hypermobile people get demonized out there. Like they, they get seen like vilified as like sensation seekers. And I'm not saying you were saying that, but like the whole thing is like, I can't stop them because they just want to, you know, they're like these sensation junkies is so often what's said. But then they don't realize that in class, what they're saying to that person, that person's usually doing it exactly the way you've said it. Yeah. And they're following along and trying to like 
do it right and please get approval. And if it's not you that's saying the words, it's probably somebody they practiced with before or that they admire, that then they're that pulling that into that current setting. So I, I like to remind teachers of that because it's so much easier to contain someone when you realize they're like literally relax, reacting to the words you're saying. And yeah. that if you haven't told them where the edge of something is and how to backtrack it and reposition the purpose of it around some kind of like universal intent that everybody can find without having to exploit, then they're likely going to try to do it in the way that like you know, you're, you're saying it's supposed to be done or that somebody's told them before. So those are kind of the two big things that I think would, are super helpful, hopefully for people just to consider so that they yeah. can say like, if you're going to tell somebody to lift their tailbone, you darn as well better tell them to drop it too. And why, and which, which one they could do to choose whatever outcome it is you're looking to achieve that day. Um, so I, I hope that's at least like something to start with. There's so oh, much more yeah. to it. But <laughs> That is like, yeah, well, as you said, you've just, it's like you've just kind of touched on this. Uh, it's like the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Because it's a huge subject and it's, yeah. it's fascinating. Um, and I think it's also, um, uh, you know, it's definitely something that um, I'm interested in learning more about. Um, so your hypermobility course that you're doing at Tri Yoga, when is that? Uh, December 5th. So they're okay. the Saturdays. So like 5th, 12th, 19th or something like that. But they'll be the same as the last ones where they're, um, we always do them live, but then they're recorded as well. And you can access them for seven days after that. And, you know, they, they're pretty easy to come by and I answer questions and always provide like follow-up material. So um, even if people can't be there live, they get just as much out of it um, because I always make myself available. But I was going to add something else. One more thing on that. Oh, that was the other thing. When you were talking about at the very beginning to like loop it all the way back around about the technique not working for the people in front of you, right? So it's working for this hypermobile group, but it's not working for everyone else. So another thing to think about for teachers especially is that even if they, you know, spackle together, like patch up, you know, replaster the poses so that, you know, maybe they're a little bit more anatomically sound or they've got some better mechanics to them, they're still going to have this range demand that's outside of the realm of possibility of the typical range person. Yeah. And then on top of it, what if you have an even further diminished range or something that is an extenuating circumstance that, you know, you don't have almost any range at all? So to me, it's this idea of like universally applicable technique that doesn't mean it'll be universally applicable every single exchange, but I want to be able to have one for any person in front of me. But if people can realize that it's not this, this dogmatic, like fancy poses are bad, it's that if you're positioning your classes and if we're positioning yoga as inclusive and accessible for anybody who would like to participate then we need to meet that promise. And if your intent is not to meet that promise, fine, call it, you know, this is, this is only for this very select few people. It's not more advanced. It's just a specific type of person. But if it's anything else, I'm like, bring the technique to meet that promise rather than continuing to try to keep, retain this technique and shove everybody else into it. Yeah, so yeah. that's like a big thing. Definitely. It's like, um, 
everyone having to fit the yoga rather than the yoga fitting the people you know that are in front of that have come right. to the yoga each person individually when it's a theoretical technique right it's all theory and the only thing that's tangible is still conceptual like poses are still concepts they're not you know something that you could you're not going to run into a triangle and in the woods like it's just a man-made theory so if that's the case and we're trying to teach theoretical philosophy through some kind of like physical exploration and 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 kind of inquiry then just change the change that part change the pose part so that it actually does that because it's so funny that we you know we're like we're trying to shove people into the yoga and i'm like but it's not even the yoga we're trying to shove them into like modern asana i would call it maybe and it's so funny right (laughs) it's like just that's not even the point yeah 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 it's just shapes it's just shapes body (laughs) positions you holding limbs in certain places in space that's all yeah and and i think that's that's the other thing is that sometimes and i've started saying this actually at at one point in my class i recognized that i was saying it i was like there's no magical way of doing this you know you don't have to do it the way that i'm doing it i'm not doing it the magical way (laughs) you know um you can do it another way and get you know you can get the same stuff you know um Mm -hmm. that we're trying to get and I was I was trying to get we were talking about tactile feedback at the time but um and I think that was uh it's this idea of um things being either right or wrong and good or bad and who knows what's right and who knows what's wrong and um if we can just move away from that (laughs) you know and let go of that completely then um, I think it'll all just be a load more fun for everyone, won't it? <laughs> oh, I completely agree. It's that binary thing that, you know, yoga is really designed to break out of that. That's the human construct that weighs things out in that binary way that makes it really tight. And it fe- it's suffering. Like it feels awful when you, especially when you start to realize it or you run up against one that really doesn't fit you. But I like to do them in like ridiculous ways. Like what if you said oatmeal was good? it was right. And eggs were bad. And like, you can never have eggs for breakfast. Anybody that has eggs for breakfast is like the worst and they suck and no, never. (laughs) And like, but oatmeal people are amazing always. And it's like, okay, well you see how like ridiculous that is. Okay. That's like saying there's a right way to do triangle and a wrong way to do triangle that somebody who does triangles doing yoga and somebody who isn't, isn't doing yoga. And like, that's silly when you like kind of apply that on it with you 100%. That's like, my biggest thing is just get those rules out of there. I'm always like, keep a sneaky eye on, on people who are slamming the pendulum from one side to the other in this kind of like covert way where it's like, well, I used to do it this way, but now this is definitely the way. And I'm like, but is it? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I have to sort of watch that in myself as well mm-hmm. a little bit. I think we yeah. all do. Yeah, yeah. Because we, I, I guess... Don't we all just want something to kind of hang on to as a kind yeah. of surety? But it's safety, you know, right? Yeah, but I think um, you have to take the difficult path, don't you? Which is that there isn't really. <laughs> that's I guess that's kind of the conclusion that I'm sort of coming to. Is it's like with um, 
the idea of pain, which, you know, um, is a whole nother subject. I won't get into that now with you, maybe another time. But, um, you know, I just started to realize how huge and complex it was. It's like, I'd love to be able to give someone the best pose for their lower back pain, but that is not, (laughs) it's just not happening. And so I went through this process of feeling like a fraud because I couldn't answer the questions in the way that people wanted me to answer them. And then I felt like I shouldn't talk about pain at all because I was like, oh, I don't don't have the answers. And then I thought, actually, no, you need to talk about it and say, I don't have the answers because it's such a complex subject. And there's so many different things that we need to talk about and think about, you know. Um, so let's talk about them and think about them. I think that's the that's where I got to with it. But um, And I think that last point that you made of it, like, let's not just say it's so complex that we can't even discuss it because then that creates that like, you know, sort of illusion of it being really important and precious. Like it's really complex. Let's talk. Let yeah, Like you said, let's talk about it. Let's drag this out on the floor and really look yeah. at the pieces here because, and let's share, let's share our individual experiences and for it to be safe enough to do so. That's like why I try to do what I do online is because I'm like, I, I listen, I've heard these stories all a million times over. I, there's, it's rare that a new one comes up, but I'm one person traveling a ton teaching to a lot of different groups and that's unique. And I'd rather people get to share that in this way where they're usually in their one community. They don't get to see this broad picture. I'm yeah. like, listen to all these different voices, then start to see that it, it depends. I know people hate that answer of like, but what can I do? And I'm like, well, it depends. I don't, I can't give you an assurance that something is going to work or isn't going to work. I can give you some knowledge that you can work off of, but that's about as good as I can do. And, you know, I think there's, like you said, I think there's a lot of people that that's very unsatisfactory to because it feels uncomfortable, but I'm like, there's, there's the yoga. That's yeah. the whole point is to get good at sitting in that and to going, you know, I don't really know. Yeah. And I really want to grasp for things that are solid, but I'm realizing there isn't so much solid and I need to learn <laughs> how to be all right with that. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. And that's a good lesson, I think, uh, in our whole life, actually. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, what has the last year taught us, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, that's such a wonderful amount of information thank you so much you're so welcome my pleasure really appreciate your time and coming to speak to us of course um, I'll drop the links to your um workshops in the comments for the podcast and um if I don't get to the hypermobility one I really want to come to the other one that you were doing which is um just remind me was it uh, it's uh, three days isn't it and you cover philosophy on the I saw on the Sunday are you doing that one again oh I'm gonna have to do that one again we just did it it was last month it was yeah, in the end of October but I'll do it again um do it again yeah I mean I'll, I'll probably do that again just through my own my own platform that's also stuff that if anybody ever wants it the long format like deconstruct the year-long one I do is it's in that all of what I did that weekend is in that longer course if anybody ever wants that one that'll go this week fantastic i'll put the um uh drop all the links in and um and thanks and hopefully i'll be able to catch up with you again sometime yeah anytime my pleasure thank you so much for listening today don't forget that you can subscribe to listen to more episodes you can leave a review if you've enjoyed today's episode and you can share with your friends and i'd really appreciate that 
Look forward to seeing you next week. And if you need a few moments out for yourself, I've left a free guided relaxation recording in the notes for this podcast. Take care, guys. See you next time.